keep going. Welcome back to the Keep Going Podcast. So I'm going to keep this intro very short and sweet, because what we have on tap for you this week is a lengthy introduction into what we hope will be a series of episodes on what makes training, training. Here we explicate the who, what, where, when, and why, as we see it, of training. And next week, John and I will be recording without Michael, as he'll be traipsing across the Italian peninsula on his honeymoon. We plan on breaking down the various systems that we train when we train. Hopefully this resonates with you as a listener because it's going to be a long two-week deep dive. So without further ado, here's the episode we call Training's 5 W's. It's the first in a series we're calling The Systems. Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what? A meatball under your blanket. <laughs> yep. That should be the name of this episode. Waking up with a meatball under your blanket. Yep. All right, guys, what are we talking about it's today? A country song. What are we uh, working? What angle are we working? Since we learned last week to freestyling is uh, not a good idea. Not always. We, 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 we need some parameters. Actually, we've got some pretty good parameters. Maybe today. we just have higher standards for ourselves now. <laughs> I'd like to think that we're gold star. Gold in, our, star. Uh, in our preview, in my, in my intro, I was like, yeah, we, we hubris. <laughs> we, were, we got hubris. hubris there was a little hubris. Yeah. That, um, Big word for rein it in. <laughs> Check yourself. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about Delicious training plans and what they mean, what they are, and we're going to start peeling these apart. And I'm really pumped about it. Yeah, it's going to be a series. We're, we're envisioning this as a series. We prepped it a couple of weeks ago, but now we're ready to engage. Do you um, have an official name for the series? I think we initially was called the program, but let's just wait and see what it ends up. That's kind of cool. Yeah, let's just. Yeah. It I thought a about culty. the program like or the system. Mm-hmm. You know, the system. Yeah. I thought of both of those, but we can kind of decide. Nefarious. You know, mm-hmm. you guys will know what this is when you hear it because it'll be named that and I will have done an intro about it. But what, what I thought we could do, um, because, you know, what we're thinking is this will be at least a three or four episode thing could easily end up if we took every single system that we're um, interested in, we could easily end up with 10 or 12 of these. But the idea is generally for the overview is to create a, a, like a map to map out the various systems that are u- in use for events running from the 800 to the marathon primarily mm-hmm. with more of a focus on that half marathon marathon area just because of um, the interest level of the vast majority of people that are probably listening to this episode um, and the vast majority of people who are training. But as you and I both know John very well, most of this stuff is relevant for sure to down to the 15 and, yep. and, and depending on the, a person's system, even down to the eight, if, if, Right. If the case may be, um, but what what we're going to do today, um, what I thought was because this thing is so big to unpack, I just thought we would, I thought we could use that old model of who, what, where, when, how. No, who, what, where, when, why, and sometimes how, right? And 
unpack what training is about from that perspective. Then our episode next week will be John and I, because Michael will be in Italia, mm-hmm. stuffing his face with going on a honeymoon and Neapolitan style pizza. Um, we will we will break down the physiology or what's going on in the gross body around it. But today, what I thought we would just go. So the the first place we're going to start, guys, is like when we talk about training. Who are we talking about? How, how do you how do you resonate with that? You know, we did an episode on the role of the athlete and the role of the coach. So in some sense, we've got kind of that framed there a little bit. But like when you think about this, like you know, when I think about training, I'm thinking these are people who want to get faster and or what I call they're in pursuit of some kind of goal. That's where, in my view, training theory starts to kind of be relevant. What do you, what do you what's your guys' take on that? Well, where I I like that, I probably like it better than where I originally went, which is you guys often talk about, you know, Lydiard and all of these like quintessential coach. I didn't know if the who was a historical context of like the like where it came from. So, but I, but I don't know if that's going to be as relevant for saying who it is for. And I do think that who it is for is probably the best um, yeah, context right now. We pay, you know, good respect for kind of where where things came from quite often. And well, I think all the other episodes will be more provenance that way, like what mm-hmm. the provenance of these systems are. What's, sure, yeah. Where's that all coming from and how's that all working? But for here, it's like, who is the training for? Because um, in some sense, as a coach, I know the training's for me too because I'm learning to be a better coach by watching how my who's deal with the various systems and various stressors I throw right. on them. The what's and the when's and everything. Yeah. How do you, how do you think about that, John? It would be, I think like from the broadest perspective, it like anybody who has a, has a specific goal in mind, whether it's like a long-term goal or a short-term goal, but has any sort of specific goal in mind. And it may not even be a race. You know what I mean? It like, I just need to whatever. I don't know what it is, but like, Anybody who's looking um, and where there's an endpoint at some, you know, I need to reach this endpoint. Is this for people getting fit to train or is this people fit enough to train? Either way. Either way. Okay. It's, yeah, because getting fit enough, you know, they're at some point the latter was the former. So, um, yeah, it, that's why I try to make it sound really, really general like what you led with Steve be more specific someone who has a um who has a, a a goal with a defined finishing point you know where i need to get a qualifying time i need to get to a finish line i need to get, i need to get to a start line mm-hmm. yeah so i try to make it as broad as possible so that, I don't know, maybe it's sort of like a little bit of um, a cover my own ass kind of thing. People delineate between beginner and elite mm-hmm. and then all the way, every everything yeah, in between. And, and is and, this is this who, um, in terms of of when we're when we're peeling this all apart, do you think that there's a a wide spectrum that we can include in these conversations, Steve or John? Well, I, I'm using the 
the wide spectrum right now just as we're defining right mm -hmm. but like the number i would i don't know the number of people who just started running who are listening are probably few and far between right every <laughs> probably <laughs> right so but like if I'm going to place a definition on it, it's going to be really, really broad. But it's interesting yeah. because I read a stat the other day, and I don't know if it's 100% because it's Google and you just never really know. But um, I think there's – I want to say that like out of the million marathoners each year in the U.S., that half of them are first-timers. I know. Pretty wild, right? So you have like a lot of half-marathoners that work their way up, and it's just interesting. Yeah. So I think – I think that there's a large population of folks out there that have got the bug and they're really interested and they might stumble upon this podcast. And I think that that's really, really cool. Yeah. So, um, but then again, we're kind of talking like, you know, this is kind of a, you know, some of, some, some of the, the talk is I could see friends of mine who just like clubhouse talk cause they're already mm. in the mix and it's yep. like, all right, this is just clubhouse right. talk. So, um, I don't think that there really has to be a, well, from my perspective, I would, I would stay with the widest angle lens possible because sure. I just think anybody that has a race, I can't conceive of a single human being on the planet unless they live under a rock who would say, Hmm, I want to run a marathon or a half marathon and then run it the week later. Yeah. I think almost everybody at that point says, oh shit, I need to get ready. Yeah. Um, and the only people that are pulling the trigger on a race that's just a week out are people who are already been training and already fit in well, general. Wouldn't I would say that, or you're about to, you're about to <laughs> give me five examples of who doesn't no, do that. There's, I feel like every few years you hear a story about some guy who like a week before some marathon when he's out with his buddies on his whatever bachelor party like oh, i'm gonna run that marathon next week and it's like a smirnoff do. ice yeah you know it's like hey i signed you up for this marathon right. um, go run it tomorrow that, I, that's <laughs> that's a complete anomaly i don't even know why i threw that in there so <laughs> I edit that out but my bet is that guy's yeah. still gonna go into the race wondering what would have happened what would have happened if he did train a so, so that he person might would not yeah, and yeah. even if it was unreasonable, he, there would still be the concept of training. In fact, probably part of his part of his discussion, part of the way to get attention for the fact that he yep. did sign up for one the day before or the week before would be, and I didn't train for it. Right. He probably would put that in the contextual sure. arrangement. So I think we're pretty safe saying everybody who kind of lines up for a race is probably training. Um, and so that leaves it super wide. Now, right. when you think about this training and we think about the who's from the perspective of race distances, so we think about an 800-meter runner. Um, we would expect them to do some different kinds of training than the person who's running a 100-miler would do. Right. And that's like a completely different runner as well. The interesting thing about, you know, 5K, half, and full marathoners is if you're running 800s, and you're running for a competition. You're a different. Yeah, that's it. That's a I different actually, mindset. I think John and I would both probably disagree with you. I think you're closer. They're closer to the marathoner than I think. They're almost as close to the mar. They're almost closer to the marathoner than they are to the 400 meter runner. 
Well, physiologically speaking, probably because of the energy system that we're talking when we talk energy. But culturally, culturally, I don't think I don't think you're not going to meet somebody's like I'm couch to eight hundred. Yeah, it's like you're not like nobody's really going out there. Fuck it, I'm going all in. I'm running the eight hundred at the next track meet. Local would be awesome. That would be badass. You know what I mean? Like that would be a fun track meet. Oh yeah. Couch to 800. <laughs> Nobody's doing that shit. But that, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're running, you know, track and field in those distances, you're a, that's a different, yeah, definitely. A, that's yeah. a different mindset Couch coming into it. <laughs> <laughs> Couch to steeple. <laughs> There'd be broken shit. But, you know, interestingly, in the early, in the early, late 50s, early 60s, you know, the guy, a guy will be mentioned, we've already mentioned today once, and we'll probably be mentioning repeatedly throughout this series. The great author Lydiard from New Zealand was training his eight 100 meter runners with 20 mile long runs every single weekend. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's not really this right. real huge difference in terms of when we think about training. There is a long story tradition of 800 meter runners training. What yep. some marathoners won't even do, which is hit 20 mile long runs, which is totally crazy to me, but whatever. Um, anyway, again, I always feel like I'm and I end up getting thrown into the category of giving shit to the Hansen's project, <laughs> that, that <laughs> Hansen's book where they don't do any 20 milers. I think I did something close to that particular plan on my first marathon. I remember it capping out around 18 or 19. Yeah, I I, I think 16 for, is uh, sometimes their longest, but... They would put like the tempo seven at the end Well, of they it. do a lot of other things that work really, really well. It, their volume is very high throughout very the entirety high volume, of the program. Weekly so mileage is high every I day. I learned over the years that, yeah, their system makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, make, it does absolutely make sense. And hopefully, the, by the time you guys listen to the end of this series, you guys will also know that it makes sense. You'll have the, the basic foundational elements and understandings of why we think some systems are better and why another groups think that the other systems are better. And we're, you know, we're going to be relatively, we're going to be as agnostic as we possibly can um, until we get into our, until we get to Canova and then we're going to be fanboys for a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. um, So I think we've got the, we got the who, you know, and, and, and we will cover, you know, I just brought up the 800 meter and the, the mara, the hundred miler, just to show, just to tell people that, it, in my opinion, you know, I coach some people who run 50 milers and 100 Ks and 100 milers, and I have a little bit of an unusual system, but I like my ultra runners to do at least one road or track quality workout every week. I think it really is helpful to them. I think that the fastest runner, the most complete and full spectrum runner you can possibly get is probably going to do better as long as there's lots and lots of specificity for what they're trying to do. Um, and whereas the, my 800 meter runners, when I coached them, if they weren't straight four by four or 400 meter runners, they were also doing hour and a half, two hour long runs because I thought that was appropriate and necessary for them. So I just say all that to say, when we talk about the who, this is what we're going to be discussing has full relevance from 1500 meter to marathon and some relevance down 800 and some relevance up to the to the ultra distances right, beyond, beyond 50 miles right um, by the way just for so people know where i'm coming from i don't know if you guys want to make a clarification here i don't consider 50k an ultra marathon it's just a marathon on the trail it, there's no right difference so um you go so much slower and the marathon is way harder than a 50k 
I would say anybody can run a 50K, but not everybody that can run a well-run That seems to be like an marathon. underlying kind of trail running, ultra marathon, and kind of like, eh, is it? It's the only elite. <laughs> it's the only elitism I have around that. To yeah. me, it's like, it's cool. 50K, there's something special about the 50-mile distance. There's something There's something very special about that being kind of like the, the minimum viable length for that type of running. Um, Again, we'll go into this, but that's where it shifts. Mm-hmm. Something's shifting in terms of the energetic and or nutritional and or whatever's working there um, or the load, the way the load works, the way the biomechanics work and how that affects people. Mm-hmm. Something substantial is changing. Whereas in my opinion, the marathon and the, ha- and, the old, and the 50K are operating on the same basic less, structures. Less, yeah. Um, like Kind of like I feel like the 10K, 10 mile, half marathon are kind of all in the same basic area. Mm-hmm. And then in my opinion, the 5K, 3K are in their kind of own little area. And then you go down to the 15 and then the 15 is its own special place because Frankly, the 1,500-meter runners are all crazy as loons, and they all, especially on the men's side, they don't, very rarely do you see, I mean, that's changed recently over the last five years, but for basically 100 years, the mile has been just a sit-and-kick event when it's up to men. That The, the mile is, nev- is rarely this, like, pure pursuit event like right. the 5K tends to be, or, um, yeah. So that's the who. So What? What is training? This is mm. this one is we, we can get, you know, what are we training? So what is training and what are we training? Training, what is it? It's a foundational structure for everything, I think. I mean it's it's if you're if you include that, it means you have it means that there's like a defined purpose. It means that, um, what is it? If it's easier to answer, uh, to answer the void, which is like, if you're not training, you're just, you're kind of just frolicking and, and you're not really trying to optimize. Um, training is the process of optimization. Yeah. I think this is where we get that big word that most people will know, but they may not all know what it means of periodization. Mm-hmm. So the what is how mm, the plan, how sure. the work is structured in a way to get the best result for sure. on race day that you're looking to get. Right? Periodization That's what I would really, say. really resonates yeah. because yeah. it's when I think about training, if you say that word, it's like, oh, that's that's definitely it's right. blocks of time where you're incorporating, um, you know, different periodization is it's it's such it's such there's so much in there yeah and a lot of people think periodization is like one thing but time before a race or something like that but it's not it's or that everybody's doing the same periodization mm -hmm. a lot of times you'll hear about going from general to specific but you know there's you know in the mid 90s the great Pete Fitzinger really flipped the whole script by starting to put, and now nearly every marathon coach I know is doing some 200s and 400s and 800s early, early on in the cycle. So it's not yeah. specific. It's like weird and a little, not weird. We know why he's doing that, right. but it, there are many, mo- many periodization models. And I, let me just, from my perspective, the way these things look is generally you go from hard periodization, which is what I would call a Lydiard thing, which is by hard, I mean, very discrete, specific phases that are blocked, okay? 
And then there's more fluid and or open periodization, which is what I do, which sometimes is called everything all the time. Right. Where yep. you're kind of sprinkling in a little bit of things all the time, making sure there's a you've got a specific, specific period, but you're working on a, you're just trying to get the robot. You're trying to get the most robust runner you can possibly get. Right. And because I work with primarily adult runners who are limiting their time, energy, and ability to focus on their running exclusively, um, we are a little more open, a little right. more fluid with that. Whereas if I work with a professional runner who's targeting a particular day, I will get a little more hard with my periodization. Right. I'll get a little more specific with that. Somebody who sits right in the middle here is like the perfect middle is, you know, is, is Canova, who has this very regimented periodization model, but it's weird because he's got these weird terms like general phase and yeah. then he does this other stuff which we'll we'll break him down we don't need to get too specific yeah. about and, his training but and he's he's changed his terminology over the years too yes. like but um it's in a lot of ways his is um an everything all the time until you get to you know x number of weeks from your event and then he starts doing these things and whereas and he jettisons and he really does jettison everything all the time at that point yeah and the everything all the time is um is his version of like lydiard's you know base phase or whatever right so um but yeah it's um i think the everything all the time is appropriate for where we are right now because of the way people live, because people have professional style goals when they have jobs and families and all this kind of stuff. And in order to get somebody fit enough to train, you kind of have to do everything all the time. It hits most of the, what yeah. we call energy systems, which yeah. we'll break up later. And we used, I thought about this a bunch recently, way back, like maybe the third or fourth time we met, Somebody said something about microdosing workouts. And mm -hmm. ever since then, I've been like, that's the weirdest phrase in <laughs> talking about. And I'm like, it's kind that of. It must have been Michael. <laughs> it's kind of appropriate. Think about it. <laughs> microdosing workouts. But it's kind of what you're doing in a sense. You're, you know, you're reducing the volume and the intensity of a workout and putting it in, you know, while you're building up somebody's volume to allow them to increase their volume while you're still injecting them with some, you know, higher end aerobic stuff or whatever it is you're doing. And then I think it's always good to do fast stuff. 200 to 400. You can do them real. You don't have to haul ass. That's why right? a lot of people do strides. Yeah. They put hard strides hard. in there or hill sprints or yeah. things like that, that are trying to, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, turning on the lights, those neuromuscular lights that are necessary yeah. for, the broadest, widest range of potential challenges an athlete might run into. Yeah. You know, another reason for an everything all the time model, John, is because many people, this is one of the reasons why I went to it, is that people will be saying, ostensibly, I'm getting ready for a marathon, but then they'll run a 5K here and a 10K right. there and yeah. a half marathon here, right. and they want to be ready for all of them. Generally speaking, it seems like people these days pick a race and then they, like, work back from there and then they'll do, like, a half distance of that race. Yep. And then a, a 5K or something. Yeah. It's a half distance of that race. Yep. 
and they're like, all right, I want to create my own little season. Yeah. The, yeah every- and that's and that's great if the person is okay with not necessarily getting a personal record in those. When I coached at the professional level and the collegiate level, we did a lot of that. Like I would run a 5K runner and an 800 meter. and But I would tell them specifically, we're going to use an equivalency pace here. We're not going to use your absolute best because we've been what we've been working on has been a little less a little more specific to the race distance you're running whereas the 3k and the 5k well they're basically two of the same bait it's two one half dozen the other like it's okay go with it but um and just one more clarification for anybody who might have been like what do you mean by everything all the time what are you saying by that what we mean is that in essence periodization is placing specific bouts of work by that we mean a interval session or a hard workout bout of some duration or distance, whatever the focus is on, with a requisite or or um, appropriate recovery that's trying to get a physiological response for the body that will stress it in a variety of different ways to have a have a adaptation once you rest and recover from that. That's the fundamentals that we're doing here. We're like stress recover stress recover stress recover break larger break adaptation one of the key things for everyone to understand this is very important i work with people i've been working with for 10 years and when i felt finally get through to them on the thing i'm going to say now they're always like holy shit i wish i had known that a long time ago you do not get fitter from the work you do you get fitter when you adapt <laughs> to the work you did. So the work you did is a stress, but the benefit comes from the rest, recuperation, recovery phase. That super compens- what we'll talk about later is a super compensation. Your body comp- compensated for that load, and that's where the fitness comes from. Yes, the load creates it, but so many people get this messed up. This is really important to understand. Don't put the apple in front of don't put the horse in front of the cart. Yes, you do the work, but equal or more important is that recuperation recovery period. And then also, just to double up on that, your rest, when a coach gives you a rest, if they're a good coach, they fucking mean it. They mean whatever they say. I like to tell my athletes, if I gave you six times a mile, that's not the workout. The workout is six times a mile with a 90-second rest. That's the workout. Think of it as one whole body of work, the whole thing, the whole load. That's what we're doing today. You can break it up then into a mile with a 90-second rest and a mile in the 90-second rest. But that's not the workout. The workout is six times a mile and 90 seconds rest. Right. So those are my little – I had to just get on my two little no, stools yeah. there to make sure people understood when we're talking about what training is. It's not just the bouts of hard, fast work that everybody thinks is so sexy. It's a whole bunch of other shit. And then you know to go on when that training is also – Strength training, the mobility work, the rest recovery sleep phase, the nutritional elements, all those other pieces of the puzzle, which are part of what training is. Um, So it's interesting. I got my start being active, not running first. I used to go to the gym and I got my plan from my brother who got it from a guy that was like a bodybuilder, like a legit, like. Mr. Louisiana bodybuilder kind of guy. And those fuckers work. And they work. And and it was like, <laughs> and it was always like back and buys, chest and tries, you know, shoulders and legs, you know, and how you, how you, how, and I was always told that like you need 72 hours between each workout to like really capitalize on the previous one. 
And there were different ways to push and pull that. But the essence came from after the workout, not during it. It's not how much you're deadlifting. It's how much you deadlift and then you recover. And it's about the next one. It's always about the next one. So it's interesting. So That's if you're, periodization. If you come, exactly. So if you come from a background where you started in the gym doing a typical weightlifting routine, you're probably going to know a lot about periodization in a very small little micro world. Right. Um, and that, I think that's why it was easy for me to conceive of in the, in the beginning, because you just didn't go out and do legs every single day right. or else you'd just be just maxing yourself out and just killing, killing your legs. It was just like, they would just get so worn out and, you know, it was like, but they I, would look great. They would look great. And, and, you know, going back to what training is, you know, we live here in Austin. We have this fantastic four mile, seven mile or 10 mile loop of crushed granite that is used frequently. And when I first moved here, I was always like, I was an elitist, right? Because mm -hmm. I was a high school stud and then I went to the University of Texas and I right. was a good, good there. And so I was just like, all oh, y'all aren't training. And no, if somebody goes, somebody goes out there and runs four miles five days a week, that's training. <laughs> They may not be training and that, you know, that is training because they're doing something right. So that's another topic of conversation when we talk about what is training. Um, what are we training? So we know we're training the body. That's the obvious thing. Um, but you know, I think more and more these days, or, you know, this has been a trend since the 1980s that, that we know we're training the mind. We've gotten more and more cognizant of mental training protocols and programs and ways to think about training that brings a mental component into it. How are you training your mind for the work that you're doing for your race and how those things are approached? And then finally, for me, because this is a this is another area that I, th I feel really important about. It's like I think that we're training the body, the mind and the soul. Now, what I mean by soul is much more, you know, like we talked about in one episode, it's much more style. It's just more like, what's the idiosyncratic piece here that might have something to do with your, you know, genetic base, your biomechanics base, mm -hmm. your folk, race, race focus, the kind of energy that a person brings. You know, John, when you coached, you knew that there were some guys that were blood in the water guys. Right. And then there were guys who were steady eddies who just needed to keep the pace and then they could kick it in. Yep. It, it, guy, they come in all shapes and sizes. And then you're sort of training to that idiosyncratic right. behavior. That sort of so what I'm calling soul is that their own stylistic, unique way of being you've, you wrote your periodized program for Rory specific to Rory. Right. When I write programs for my Telos group, I'm writing a much more generalized program that's going to work across a whole spectrum of personality structures. And then now, of course, they're generally moving towards my philosophical base. So they're attracted to my kind of style. But then I have to work with them individually and really cut it off. Like one of the things you see, Michael, right away, when I met you, I was like, you need to be thinking about a beautiful race. Mm -hmm. I don't mention that to everybody the fourth time I work with them. <laughs> but I think I knew you were going to be running up against a brick wall in terms of the goal that you had and the way things were set. And I was like, it might be appropriate for you to kind of move into this with a little <laughs> more flexibility and fluidity and think about it from a different perspective because otherwise it's going to be shit sandwiches all goddamn day. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, I was stuck in, in time-oriented goals since the beginning. And training was oriented with time. And it was always oriented with time and pace. And um, so subtle, but so interesting. Yeah, it. I think when, and that's. I think that happens to what happened to you happens to most people who come into running or maybe cycling. I don't know if cycling has as much time 
focused stuff on it. But swimming does, you know, swimming, swimming does for sure. Swimming and running are like we most of running's most of running's exercise fizz stuff comes out of 1950s original 1950s interval based training that came out of yeah. this pool. Yeah. Houseman, what I think his name was Houseman, right? Came out of the pool from him. Super and interesting. It's um, you know, I think uh, when be you know runner's world or some outside magazine and anything online it's all like you know once you get past the couch to 5k everything is getting faster or whatever and i think that is sort of our natural proclivity right is to want to improve via a marker and that marker is time and and I think that's where that's why people get injured and go off the rails and say, "Oh, running hurts too much," because they've skipped over the fundamental part of it. They immediately go into training before they're good at running. Yeah, we we talked about this yeah. early on, and, and I that's think one of the things that I. It's like so important. Like, well, people, and maybe people do just run for a few years at a time, but. I feel like there are a lot of people like, oh yeah, I knocked out a couple half marathons and yeah, I'm just done with it. Like, like, and, and maybe that's just without the, without really understanding the essence of how that that race felt, which is an interesting thought. Yeah, like, how did me, it? It's like if you have the running bug, if you're you never are the benchmark, yeah, you're yeah, like. Never, ever, but I think you have to be, yeah. And when I visualize a race now, I visualize like how it, like myself. In like a third lens, like a third eye behind me, and it's like, what do I, what, what does it look like and feel like emotionally when I'm running the yep. race? And if time gets in there, it kind of becomes a little sloppy. No, it, it does help, That's but it's, but it, it doesn't like really feel like you're watching a picture of a or a video of like a gazelle running. Like it's just a very natural process, even if they're like redlining it. It's it's beautiful regardless so seeing it from that that third lens is is a really cool way of it's hard for me to imagine running a race without seeing it from like what's this going to look like and what's it going to feel like yeah. that to me is like the extra component that really was like oh shit this is going to be fun yeah i think when you build a program for people you even if their goal is like you know, someone comes to you and says, I've been running for a year and I'm ready to do a marathon. And I, this is going to be my one and done. Um, there was a time I think where I could have gone, okay, I can help you out. And now I don't know if I could write them like the one and done they want. Oh, you, you could do it, but it, they wouldn't want to do it. Because you would you would you would spend nine months working on base. <laughs> well, yeah, that's and that's what be I a mean. little boring. The one that they want would, or or you, you would I mean? just keep hitting the doing what I do in my base phase, which is hit the hills, give them a lot you know I mean? lot of like, lot of variety in hills. You know, just try to keep tricking them into thinking that they're working hard. Not when a really lot of indicators that they're going to be successful. Bingo, bingo. Right. Not <laughs> a lot of indicators. And yeah, it's just, I, we used it was, to I used to live off of indicators, which yeah. is like this is good. You're on track. Yeah. Well, I, but learning to run by I think feel I is... I did it, and I think a lot of kid coaches coached on indicators. Yeah. We're look, you know, there, and I think, um, I think like you, we've talked about it a few times in here, how 
the nervous system plays such a huge role when you're, you're doing endurance athletics, the nervous system um, plays such a huge role, but we don't think about it as much like we would with the sprints or the throws or something like that, where we think of nervous system because of fast twitch. And you don't think of nervous system when you've got a bunch of slow twitch yahoos out there, but, but your nervous system gets ground down. Yeah. Cumulative load. And it, I, and, and neural pathways that are over, yeah. overused, fritzed, shot. This is why doing speed burnout, economy and fast burnout people get. Yes, 100%. You lock your keys in your car more. <laughs> the whole, it's, and I think I back when, you know, I was at Rogue and had 65 people in a group. If someone came in and said, hey, my first marathon, I ran three hours. Now I want to run 245 and then I'm done. I would have been like, yeah, we'll get you in there. Awesome, and I don't know if I, I'd be like. Well, you you might say okay, but I would take that person because I I'm crazy that way. But I would be like, yeah, we're gonna have to bypass um, the standard two fifty five and two fifty, yeah, which are not really real; they're also arbitrary. Right. Um, and are what 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 are we gonna do differently? Yeah, to get that well, that, yeah, that stimulus response necessary for a fifteen minute jump and how long do we have between them because if you're going to do it from a volume perspective yeah. which is the place you and I would both go we were like okay well if you're running 40 miles a week and you start running 70 to 80 miles a week you might benefit yeah. 15 minutes but do I have the requisite nine months to get that base yeah. in to do what we then need to do and you know those but typically John what we had was four months at best right <laughs> right at best well I think too it's just like the I think I would have a hard time doing it because um, it goes against that whole do no harm thing. You know what I mean? And I mean, I, I don't think there's, there's nothing morally wrong with... It's just I think to do that much work... I mean, they can choose to do it if they want to pay somebody, but it's like I, I don't want to do that to a person. I mean, and people we've mentioned in here who had really good marathons and did all this kind of stuff and they get fried before they need to be fried. But see, I will work with that person, John, yep. because I've got a new model. Yep. Your fucking goal is arbitrary. And yep. they'll say, sure, 245, let's go for it. Just <laughs> want you to completely, utterly understand it's arbitrary. It's totally, you have nothing. You can't point at that 400-foot wall and say, I'm going to hit that ball over there. You don't yeah. have the skill sets to do any of that stuff. So we might right. get there, but we might not. But in essence, because I use the beautiful race all the time. It's yeah. like, in essence, your goal time is arbitrary. And I almost <laughs> always get them to head nod and acquiescence. Right. And then once I've got that permission, yeah. that they at least understand the conceptual model that I'm working from, then I feel like, okay, and now my system, and my system's also built to, as long as it's built to um, check them repeatedly so i do a workout very early in the program which is you know i think we talked about is three three six mile sections yep. at marathon goal pace no it is not after 50 percent of the way through the program so it's in the first 50 percent of the program and that's just like if you can't run three times six miles at the pace is necessary for for mgp you still might make it but you know now exactly how far you are from that objective yeah and most people wake up, yeah. right? They're like, so I baked into, I guess I've seen so many of those people that I just built my model around them. Yeah. 
you know. But I appreciate where you're coming from, though. I well, just think I, it it's important also to say. that because I haven't coached groups in so long that it's always been a couple people here, individuals that, you know what I mean? And that maybe I just don't I just also don't the, have that capacity or the memory to do it. Also the people you're working with, their identities are so much more attached to that particular time because the time is really not what they're trying to get. It's the station in life, the, the, the accolades as a practitioner of the art and the, right. the, the practice and the craft of being a yeah. runner. You're working with people who have clearly objective goals that are far more objective than the relative arbitrariness that I'm working with. Primarily, you've been working with guys trying to get Olympic, or girls trying to get Olympic trials qualifying standards. Right. So right, that, right. those numbers are not arbitrary. Right. Um, but, um, well, let's move into one other area of what before um, we transition. Um, and that's what training consists of of and because we've been dancing around this topic but generally i think it's important for people to understand and john you can articulate your view of this is what does the og model look like and i'll just give you a, a, a sort of a little a little uh prompt it's usually a base and then uh some kind of hill phase right. and then into some kind of speed work and specificity phase right. generally and that's just so people understand when we say hey you 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 need to build a base. What right. the fuck are we talking about? What was, is a there, base there and was, how does that look? There was, and there still is in a lot of ways, the model, the pyramid model. Right. And the base was the broadest part of the pyramid, right? And it initially what you do when you start, when you've set an end goal or a date or whatever. And historically, at least from the Lydiard model, lots of long, easy runs, um, with uh, interspersed with some, you know, fast, um, it'd be like strides like we're doing now. I think he called them wind sprints or, mm -hmm. but essentially lots of strides. And then there would be um, a day or two where you are running at today, what they would probably call like marathon pace. There would that be was a, his like there would be, 75 percent no no seven eighths or Sep, yeah he had something it was no, all quarter he had quarter half three oh quarters God. and then he would move seven eighths was like almost blasting yeah. yeah or and so this was this would have been like a three quarters run or whatever and it that was the base phase and you did that for i think in the book for was as long as you can mean do mean, it without going cuckoo. without yeah that falling apart physically, <laughs> mentally, or spiritually. And for, you know, and for his, his groups, that would be, you know, two hour pluses on the weekends. There would be a 90 minute to two hour run in the middle of the week, hour runs. And, you know, there were doubles, but a lot, of, I think his books didn't, didn't put the doubles in there. And it, and you would do that, you know, I think he would want you to do it a minimum of 12 weeks, I think is what it was. And that was what the base phase was. And that and got co-opted by everyone yeah. in the 70s and the 80s. And the idea was you built your aerobic capacity as big as you could get it so that you could start doing workouts. Because the workouts and the, the, the ostensibly the, the physiological argument for this is that once you start moving into spaces that are faster, then you start cutting away at that base. Right. Because it's, the base is built from an aerobic base right. and that aerobic base creates this bottom of the pyramid right. but as you get closer and that pyramid would 
really the what's what's important to understand conceptually is that really what you're doing there is that pyramid should really be more of a column that goes all the way up. Yeah. But what happens as you start doing hard quality, fast paced work, it starts to winnow down and kind of cut into that base and right. turn into the next term that we would usually like to talk about, which is peaking. Right. So that it would come to this peak where you would have a pinnacle experience, but that pinnacle experience did not have any, any real robustness to it. It was just really good at the pinnacle of what that was, but right. you wouldn't be able to then jump from an 800 to a 5K. Right. Especially in a Lydia type model. Right. And then the one famous model that came off of that was the Galloway program, which is absolutely based on that. And his yep. first original book, Galloway's Book of Running, was the model for my training through high school. So I'm very conversant. Very un I understand that model. And it is it is a modified defanged but turbocharged model for uh, period hard periodization yeah. like Ludwig's talking about. And then that in that book he there's a classic picture of it of the base and the pyramid and it climbing up and a yeah. big runner running at the top. I could still see it in my mind's eye. Like when I was yeah. 10, 12 years old using the book and writing in my journal, this is what we're doing. And my dad used that to coach me. So what's really cool for me. And that's really cool for me is like thinking about that. Like, yeah, that's, that's really cool. But the, what really started to change when the exercise physiologists started really fucking around and tweaking with the human system and then we started to get a weight Lydiard's 75 percent or three quarters or half are falling into some kind of energy system zones right which we'll be talking about because that's sort of the principal model of what training is now is oh you're trying to get a specific physiological stressor on the body that will create some kind of specific benefit that will play into race day um, and we'll talk about the strengths and weaknesses of that model as we get there. But I think we can move away from what at this point. But I, th I think what is the most complicated yeah. part of that? Because we move to... I'll, I like it. I think, I think coming from my perspective, where I am, my journey, I think really hammering out what base is, is going to be extremely important when we start to peel that apart. Like yep. thoughts that come to mind. Like I know that a base is basically getting yourself to a point where you can actually finish the distance. It's like building the whole canvas before you even pull out the paints. It's the whole base. It's the whole thing. Right. If you don't do it, you're just periodizing an idea without a canvas. You're, it's so interesting to think about. And then a question that I'd like answered when y'all start to peel this apart, and I'll just kind of earmark this on this episode is, can your base be too soon? Can you start training a base too soon? Like I have a race in one year, I have 11 months. That's all I'm thinking about. I'd like to know when the base starts and what I do before the base, if there is a point in that. So I'd love for y'all to peel that apart one day in the episode. I'll, um, I'll hit it. Because I, I was about to say that. But we don't have to do it on no, this one no, because, saying, to keep it clean. What I'm going to say is that one of the things that physiologists have also said, compartmentalize base into this. And base is what you're doing all the time. Like even when you're, I mean, that's still going to be base. The runway can't neck. be long enough for base. No, it's anytime you've started, you know, all right, now I'm on, now I'm not just jogging every other day. You know what I mean? That it's everything you do is base. And this is so, why my athletes get confused in my system. Cause they're saying, where is my base? Where's my base phase? Yeah. And really the base phase is just a psychological 
point at this point, and that's what I would argue. It's the, the runway. You, you know, well, you go and do like I, an air show, but you always have the runway. So you're always taking off. You're always like, it's the runway and it's the maintenance. It's it's taking care of, you know, everything all the time. I use that whatever, and I don't think I talk about base phase ever in anything, but that's where I like reintroduce or re-energize the idea that this is where you focus on being relaxed. Yep. This is where you focus on running maximum speeds at, complete relaxation just to wake up those fast twitch muscles this is where you build yourself structurally right so you're run you know that's how you remind yourself when you go out that you're not you don't need to hammer anything the there was um when i coached high school for a little while there one person said you know everybody was always focused on the summer before cross-country season right you got to get your base in before cross country season. And there were lots of teams who would get their base in. And we even had athletes who did it, who would get their base in, but they were like in training mode. (laughs) So they were in great shape when the season started and had, you know, first three weekends. Awesome. And then they just go. Is that the quintessential? They just peaked too soon because they started training too soon because they were just cooked. Yeah. Um, And it's also particularly when you have to race every weekend. It's hard to race every weekend and and throw a tempo run in there, which is pretty critical because many of these people's races were 5K um, and 5K is in high schoolers a lot of times are approaching the distance that you run when you do a tempo. So it was really hard for kids to decouple my five, my three mile, four mile tempo run and my pace that I run on workout on race day. And then those two want to get closer and closer together. Mm-hmm. For example, when I coached at UT, our cross country race distance was 6K. That's 400 meters shorter than four miles. And we would do our tempo runs on the Town Lake Hike and Bike Trail. And frequently the girls would be running their tempo runs faster than their race day. Yeah. That's when I was like, yeah, you're a bad coach. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is poor coaching. I had, it, I had to re recalibrate everything and reframe things yep. uh, that's when i realized real quickly okay yeah you can't cheat you can't well, cheat the uh, you know uh jack daniels's charts right <laughs> his v dot charts are real are real for it's, a real reason <laughs> the 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 big thing i took away from that and it, somebody said it to me is that you have to reach the beginning of a cross-country season feeling refreshed which means you've been running a lot and you've got you've done a little bit of work but if you're thinking at the end of the season, if you're if you're like our team is actually going to go to the big race, you you can't be super 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 fit at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. And um, so when someone said you want that your your kids to feel refreshed, that and that was what seventeen years ago. That's what that's how I you do everything. My base is you get them as fit as you can without them feeling like, okay, now we have to cool start. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. The way I approach that now is I look at work your number, your days, your volume, your ultimate, your total load metrics first. Yep. How many days a week do you want to run? How many miles a week do you want to run? And you start building that first in a base. Then we work on speed economy. We start turning and burning. We start turning over, but we don't do anything based on time, right? So now you're working them. They get a little fast twitch. 
lately what I do is I put 200s in there because some people can, they're, they're safe. The third thing I do is um, I start throwing hills in because people don't time their hills very often and they're usually relative purely to the hill that they're on and they're not like a real distance. So they don't start playing around with this is my 10K pace or my 5K pace or some kind of metric I'm supposed to hit. And then the last piece, which I've, I've, I've been using forever, but I didn't know it didn't have the term I use now. I do exactly what you're talking about here, John. I do what I call free play. Free play is no pace, all effort, no pace. It's ballpark the zone, but go out and have fun. Ballpark this space, but just go out and have fun. Don't worry about what the actual pace is. I promise you when we get started, pace specificity will be there, but you won't be able to go 11 months or 12 months if you have clear metric numbers because the mind has a very hard time for focusing for that period of time and it wants to chomp at the bit. This is why it's very, yes, there's a, there might be a raid that basically got started too early, but that's, as long as you've built a, if you got a one year, what you want to do is what's your specific phase. So how long is your specific right. phase? And once you know your specific phase, whatever that looks like, then you can back that out as yeah. far as you want to. And you're I safe. like it. Yeah. Well, and yeah, if you did a 52 week base phase, even that base phase would have to have its lots of undulations and things yeah. like that. Because if you just did, I'm going to run a hundred miles a week, twice a week, I'm going to do strides one day a week. I'll do an up tempo run and two long runs. And you did that every week. You would get mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, just stagnant. So you have, you still have to, you still yeah, have to It's just interesting it. because I've got for the first time ever, I'm planning for a race so far in advance and I'm not prioritizing any races before that. So, so you have it, almost, a it's going to be a lot of fun to play around with this, this time to set myself up to the best possible training block or for periodization. It's going to be a lot of fun. How long, this is my ignorance for an event like that. We're talking about the Iron Iron Man Man, Mm -hmm. of that duration. Like when do triathletes usually start the training for that? It's very similar to the marathon, maybe a little bit longer. It's more like, some people do it in four months. Some people do it in six. Um, wow, six months would be long. You know, six months is very long, but those first two months are all just like constant in your Zone car, two. going from the yeah. pool to the track to, yeah. and it's not very long workouts. It's uh, it's more um, it's more familiarization and play than it is anything. It's a lot of uh, drills, um, a lot of drills and feel. Um, and then the you pool. start to ramp pool. up fairly quickly and keep that cadence. Um, so it's a, so it will be interesting for me to kind of go into the lab for the next four or five months to say like, what am I going to do during this pre-base phase? Or, you know, I call it pre-base, but like what I've got, yep. I've never went into a race training for longer than six months. Never. Actually longer than five months. So I've got all this time. I'm just really, really pumped about it. It's like, what am I going to do today? I might go to the pool later and just swim a mile or two and just, you're, just yeah, slow and easy and just work a on one person experiment. And you yeah. get to, it, I mean, it'd be a really fun experiment too. Like to see all the different things you can pile into that. Yeah. I've started doing like heavier days in the gym, like just heavier lifting days, just playing around 
what happens if I actually get stronger in the legs for deadlifting and you know over maybe overhead watts, squats maybe and you stuff? Add five watts. Yeah, maybe. T- yeah, exactly. What yeah. if I spend more time focusing on my bike position before I even get started to kind of extract that? And running, like to me, Ironman is about volume and running. You know, so lots of lots was, more running than I ever have. Because well, and I was going to say this is where you want to lean into that Maffetone type system where you regulate your, you stay in that zone two or whatever your heart, lower heart rate zone Mm -hmm. is for the running, because it's going to benefit you greatly to do that because there's no need for any, especially for you for marathoning, like you're not coming off the bike and running 255. So, you know, everything's going to be slower than what you're physiologically capable of. So you don't need to spend that much time worrying about those paces you know you just get out there and you go nine minute pace works all day long if some days it'll be 8 30 because you feel better but you just what you want to do is make sure you have a strap on heart rate monitor or some other way yep. to find your metrics to start dialing in that and then following that i'm not a strict maffetone person but i just recently listened to an episode on that mep podcast i was telling you guys mm-hmm. he did a great episode with um with mark allen talking about that oh book, man about I, that oh, yeah. dude, I, I read I, man when that guy talks about it, it's profound. I mean, it changed it's, his life. Yeah, Mafeto- for sure. Maffetone changed everything for him. I think yeah. he really did. Who 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 wrote the book? Sound body, sound mind. Was well, that that's him? Mark Allen. Mark Allen wrote that. Guy. It's a sort of got a little great mixed. book, and that was the first book I read getting into it all. And that's a weird book to read because there's shamanism baked into that. Yeah, thing yeah there too. is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's on Which our level. I'm, yeah. totally, fun to, I'm totally cool with, but I can I can picture somebody picking it up and going. Wait a minute. Well, there's clearly a lot here in the what. Clearly yeah. a lot yep. here. And I obviously we could probably go on for days with it. And um but I should think we, we can jump to the next ones. So so where is pretty simple. Yeah. So where is where are you running? I would say here is kind of a thing of like are you training for cross country because then you need to have some mixed mixed use. To right? me, you where know? kind of is is a mixture is it a mixture of altitude and climate? It's everything. Yeah. I mean it's everything. You you can put all those pieces in. My first thought was what's surface? Yeah. And then you could say what's your race climate? Um altitude, you know, this is a really interesting topic especially for our folks local here. We're big believers. I think John is too of this huge benefit of training through a summer and set and so Oh, it's my favorite. Texas um, summer. It, it operates like a like a psychological and physiological altitude training. Um, I think when we when Rogue had when everybody had these big, we used to regularly sit down in the coaches' meetings. Like every fall marathon season has been like people are just killing it because they go through like three months of the Texas summer during the quote unquote base phase. Dude, people were just like, I PR'd by seven minutes. Well, they also can't hit their time metrics because it's too hard to hit the time metrics. So they leave, so they abandon them because (laughs) they're just giving them bad feedback loops. So they jettison them all together. That's crazy. And they're just like, I'm just going to go out and run because I'm too sweaty and hot. When I got three miles in, my feet are splashing and water's flowing all over everywhere and I can't hit my paces. So they just let it go, you know? It's. Well, and then blood volume and the whole thing. But you have, I think. You have until 16 weeks before Ironman to like create your own base phase 
to do whatever you want. You know what I mean? This is like porn for John and I. It kind of mm. is. <laughs> like we go, I get we really go crazy on this kind it. of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, well, well, we've got the Texas summer coming up and a lot of people, it's obviously it's a running podcast, but like let's just say you pick a race that's, that's in hot weather, like Woodlands Marathon or something. Yeah. It's often very hot. But you don't get to train through the summer, so that's an interesting one. Um, you're typically training in the cool right. and racing in like really sometimes hot, humid. Well, Chicago is a good example of this because Chicago, you got all kinds of weird shit. Mm-hmm. So you've got it can be hot, it can be cold, um, but more often than not, it's been a little on the warm side than yeah. on the cool side because it's early. Something October. that's been intriguing though is the fact that it's not like you want to go out and there's this. <clears throat> A lot of athletes for training for like Kona because it was a hot race would come to Houston or come to Texas to train because it's a model climate for that. But they found that training too much in that environment put too much load on them to their nervous system. Mm -hmm. So there's also having this idea to where it's not just about training in the heat or just training in the altitude. There's some finesse in how you actually incorporate that. Because you'll need an early morning cooler run to actually get the speed sometimes or else you're going to just cook too much. So it's like people who live in Phoenix do their workouts at like in the summer, do their workouts at like 430 in the morning. But you don't really. So it's crazy. So as someone who has a lot of experience working with a lot of different who's in terms of getting them ready Mm -hmm. and we are my athletes are always training through a summer, almost all of them. Um, even though for years I tried to get them not to, now I just sort of accept it. Um, I have found what John just said, that it actually, if you know what you're doing and you your coach doesn't need to see those metrics for them to be able to do their job, or if you're self-coached, that you have the patience, the trust in your natural, your body, your self-trust in yourself and your body to regulate appropriately and adjust naturally and you hydrate fuel if you're at altitude you take your iron because you're going to get anemic if you don't be careful Mm -hmm. but if you just under train consistently and move away from metrics and trust the system to do what it needs to do you will be fitter than you've ever been before and you will be so mentally resilient that that's the other piece that's un that's not discussed very often is getting that dread of waking up in a 65 to 70 degree house, which most everybody in Central Texas has their AC, humidity not in the house because you're running right. a central air, central heat. It's running, pulling all that it's humidity out. Dry in the house. And then they wake up and you're like in this beautiful, wonderful situation and you've got your loved one right next to you and you know your kid, you're going to walk away from your kids and you're going to go out and walk out the door into this freaking blanket soup blanket (laughs) it's a soup blanket then you're gonna go meet your people and they're all looking at you stare dead-eyed just dead-eyed nobody's 5 30 in the morning nobody's like bushy-tailed bright-eyed bushy-tailed ready to go they're all Mm -hmm. dead-eyed and they're like here we go here we go we got to get this 20 miler in or we got to get this working that creates a mental fortitude and a mental resilience and toughness that um i think plays hugely into the successes that people have at the end of the summer, why they can, why they can run a Berlin and a Chicago effectively or twin cities. There, the one thing I remember, one of the things I remember from a discussion about altitude versus sea level or whatever. And that one coach said, ultimately 
ideally, if you are an adapter, you go to altitude. But the biggest factor on your success as an athlete, according to where you are, is wherever you're happiest. So, like, if, if you're in a place where you have roads that are relatively safe to run on or you have parks or something like that um, with easy access where you can run and not like have the worry of being lost or eaten or, you know, whatever that's going to be, that's going to be the best. I mean, isn't that amazing? That's what we talk about with nervous system stuff. That's yeah. what it is about the nervous system that, yeah. that the, the human, we are a living system. Yep. And this is something we'll unpack much more deeply because it's something that I'm very committed to. Almost every periodization model that we have is designed around the basic components of an industrialized society where we basically took machine engineering and machining and using humans as machines to get the kind of results that we're looking for. Almost every model that we see that's a periodization model or exercise physiology model is based on that structure, which is not representative or useful to the human living system. So you, we, and humans also really fight being widgeted and turned into little widgets and little pieces. (laughs) And so they fight it a hundred percent. So what you're talking about there, John, is they need natural beauty. They need safety. They need (laughs) challenge. They need community. If you give them all those things, all those attributes, then you're creating the kind of you train the kind of training pool, yeah. like the like the climate training yeah, climate it's like that's your, necessary. Your personal climate, almost. Yes. I I've lived in the house I'm in now for three and a half years, and it is it has been for me sometimes the absolute worst place to run because there's tons of construction, there are no trees, because all the houses are Your new. neighborhood is hilly as It's fuck. hilly as shit. <laughs> like you can't, there's one 1,200 meter flat section in the whole neighborhood. Um, but it's not, a, it's not a pretty place to run. So for a long time, I'm like, I don't even wanna do my evening walk in the neighborhood. So I'd have to get in the car and drive a mile away to the YMCA <laughs> to get on the hike and bike trail. And then I thought, no, this is not geographically whatever, but I'm still getting to see, you know, and so I had to flip my um, mindset. mindset because I, was, I wasn't enjoying it running hmm. in my neighborhood. And it's also a total waste to drive three minutes to the YMCA to run. So, and I flipped my mindset because I remembered your, your best training is when and where you're happiest. So I was like, oh, well, it's not a geographically or aesthetically pleasing place to run, but I get to see lots of people and get to see their, you know, and I just had to flip my mindset. Mm-hmm. And so I'm ultimately it's what I'm saying is you, your ideal is going to be sort of what you make of it, right? Like who is it? it who is the guy? Um, oh, well, it doesn't matter. He was like, Somebody asked him, what, how, what is the ideal length for your athletes to do hill repeats? Um, and he was like, you know, 100 meters or whatever. And the guy was like, well, I only have a hill that's 78 meters. And he was like, perfect. That's what I would say. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's sort of, if you're out there having a blast, your training is good. It's awesome. So... 
when I kind of think of this as a little bit like, you know, one of the things people talk about a lot in our field that people may not understand is like doubles. Yep. Like, do when do you train? Do you train in the morning? Do you train in the evening? Do you do doubles? Do you, you know, when 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 are you looking at it from a life perspective? I work with a lot of women, right, who are, um, in the prime childbearing years of their life, and they're have relate they're they're usually relatively young and they're trying to figure out how to position raising a family within the context of their training so that's a when um what other whens could there be um when could include frequency or density of training mm -hmm. um you know you talk about more they're um for each individual like our what are the daily cycles, the sleep, wake? What's that? What's that called? Circadian? Circadian rhythms, right? Everybody's circadian rhythms are a little bit different. Well, and men are on a 24-hour one. Women are on a on a 30-day one. You have hormonal cycles. Right. You've and got circadian rhythms. So if you want to, like, I've heard of people training, like uh, women training differently during their menstrual cycle and uh all that kind of stuff and I, I that's again where i think like if you're a morning person um you would be the kind of person who had to wake up to write in the morning or to paint or whatever you do in the think best that's probably when you should do your sessions because your body is most alert if you're an evening person i think you just do it in the evening then there are some time, like there was times when I was doing all of my runs after the kids went to bed at like nine o'clock at night and I'd have to do a two hour run and it was not fun, but that, that was what was optimal for that moment. I was just thinking I have an athlete who, um, really wanted, he lives here locally and he wanted to train with my group. Um, I try, I've coached, I coach athletes all over the world. So I do an online cycles and I, I also have people who are local and he's an evening person and he told me that he was an evening person and I was like I don't have evening workouts and I'm not going to I'm not going to implement them I I got a young daughter in my life and I'm just not going to not be there when she wakes up and then also not be there when she comes home from school right. so you know no I'm not going to do it um but he trained with us for 3 months um in he he we he was talking to me he's like I just don't know what's going on I don't know understand why I'm not and he was a you know, he was ready for the work. He was ready to do the work. He was ready for the work. And what we came to understand through a little bit of trial and error and back and forth was he just wasn't sleeping right. That his work life schedule, the way he and his girlfriend lived, and he wasn't a partier. It's just his life was an evening workout, an evening run person. And he improved immediately. His All his sessions became much more manageable, much more easy to do. So what you're talking about here is really important that people find that appropriateness. In a sense, it's a lot to do with that when. Yeah. It's, it, the, you know, that, that, that where is also the thing. You know, one of the key attributes I used to focus on when I coached at UT was I would tell the young ladies I worked with, our whole program is designed to make you healthy, happy, and strong. Nothing else matters. So... Where, they're like, well, where does where do my goal times come in there? All three, healthy, you're healthy enough to get on the starting line and run the race and be able to bring your best effort because you're a warrior, you're a freaking slayer. You yep. can get the job done. You know how to beat people. So if I get you to the starting line healthy, 
and happy and strong, you're going to win the race or you're going to be right where you need to be when you need to be there. So, you know, I think that's something that's really, you know, that's another piece of training we might think about with the where, when is what is that healthy, happy, strong for you? Like what are the conditions? What are the core necessary conditions, critical pieces of the puzzle to optimize your training? And that's not discussed much when people talk about training theory or training programs or those kinds of things. It's like, no, everybody trains at five 30 in the morning and they get ready to go and then they race and that's how it works. You know, and then we know that when we run Boston, sometimes people need to do a couple after, you know, workouts where they wake up a little bit later and be ready for that because it throws them for a loop yeah. to be in that position where they don't do that. So anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to go too much deeper on those two things. I think we can kind of unpack where and when. Um, the final one is the is what I think will probably save. Um, oh, no. We have why. We need why. Yeah, this one, this one, I've got a super easy answer for, but I'll let too. I'll let others, I'll let you guys jump in first. I think, I think though, I think that the why is pretty simple. It's that you you have to under you have to know why you are doing it. Nobody else can tell you that, and I don't. I think I've gotten into so many different things in my life where other people are telling me to do things, and I try and do them, and it's just. It doesn't have the, the best outcomes. And the why is as simple as taking time to reflect on seeing as clearly as possible why you would choose any of these training methods or any of these. Why even think about this? It's just extremely important. That's up to that's up to everybody. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have that. And I, frankly speaking, I know a lot of people who don't have that. I see more people who don't, who can't really identify why they're doing something. And I think that is because the world nowadays, there's a clear picture of maybe other people telling us why we should do things. Like our, like a lot of our society is built on people giving us information that we should or shouldn't do. Right. But, and so it's easy to get caught up in, hey, maybe I'm 30-ish years old, I should run a marathon. And it just seems like a really great idea. You can get a couple months down the road and doing it, um, but I don't think the why is emphasized enough in the very beginning. And I don't think that there's a clear system of really understanding how to, because it takes time. You don't always know why I don't always know why I'm doing something. And it takes a lot of time to see that clearly. I think f for me, why is, um, it's going to be sort of an extension on what you said, Michael, because it's such an individual, you know, there, are, it's, it's such an individual thing there. Um, internal things that drive you there are external things that pull you um and you could have you could have an infinite number of whys you know or it could just be one solid thing and i think that's where the relationship between a coach and an athlete gets really good when a coach and the athlete can communicate. And so you understand the why. And then the coach, the coach's why may be different, 
but then the coach is helping the athlete do something for their own why. Yeah. And those are the coach athlete relationships that tend to be the longest and thrive the most, you know, um, I think, um, the coach has to be really, really open that there are a lot of people who are doing it. Probably most of the people are doing it for reasons that are different from mine, for example, you know? So the athlete has to be really comfortable talking about their why. And the coach has to be very receptive to that why as well. And, and not even just be receptive to it, but also go, yeah, this is what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like almost in a way, be the hype man for that. Why mm -hmm. without being a hype man? Do you know what I mean? Being in support of. Yeah. Yeah, for I sure. That's really, really important. I mean, it's almost like if you don't take time to understand why you're doing something, not just woke out of, woke up out of bed and it's like i want to lose some weight or whatever it is right which is that's actually statistically like one of the people want to get healthy meet new people um you know try something different in their life like these are the reasons why people get into running but i think that it's not as simple as that it's like why would anybody want to become more healthy like that's an interesting question is it about you or is it about you being a better family member? What, what's it about? Right. And I, I'm, I'm under the impression that if you don't locate that, you're almost 100% going to waste your time <laughs> and fail. Again, I'm, I'm, it, that's pretty, I mean, it, it's, it's like, even in work, like I've got a, like a, a bunch of folks that they're all, they all get to say what their opinion is on what they think uh, it is or something like that. But if I don't understand why I'm doing it, like there's almost no compass. There's no compass like either empirically or morally or whatever. And man, I lose every single conversation when I don't have a clear picture of why I'm even entering into the mix. And I just think it can be very, not to put like, sure, you can go out and run just for the experiment of it. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. But like, consider having a why, because if you spend all your time doing this training and you're really setting an intention, you're going to get lost and you need an anchor point. So yeah. it's, 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 it's fascinating to me, like how many times I've done things without a clear intention and I'm sitting there spending months or weeks asking myself like, what the fuck went wrong when it was so obvious that I didn't actually set an intention. Well, as you guys know, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. I mean, I named my business for the Greek word for ultimate aim, which is kind of why are you doing it? Right. right. What's your purpose? <laughs> What's the purpose behind yeah. what you're doing? And um, I think one of the things that you guys are bringing up, both of you beautifully said, is that there you guys are both talking about this in kind of a way that says, 
and we know this at some deep existential level or some deep essential level in our own core, who we are, that that matters. But I think one of the things that's really important to to note here for any of our listeners is that um, for most people, that's a hard-earned lesson. Oh, um, yeah. Michael, you've been you've been pressing the edge. And it's like plateaus of learning. It's like it's never a quick learn. It's It takes so much time. You can get years down the road and not think deeply about it. Because it keeps getting recalibrated. Right. And reformed and readjusted. And, you know, John and I who have spent, I mean, between the two of us, we probably have 60 years of coaching experience, something yeah. around there, you know? Yeah. And it's like we've seen, and that's like two race cycles. That's 120 whys. Things statistically. A, a, a years of why 20. And then if you take each person in that group, I mean, you start getting to all these things. And for me, I spent a lot of time during the pandemic, especially because I was like, why do we run? Like, why do we run? So I think there's a, you know, what, what I like to frame the why here in a couple different contexts. The first one is why you run. And I think that's a really big metaphysical question that anybody can take and play with and mess around with. And Michael, what I was saying like for you, that that's what's hard one is that you know why you're doing the thing at some big meta level. But I think something that helps much more closely is the other questions I ask my athletes to ask right before a race. Or if they tell me they want to run a race, I'll usually say, okay, tell me why you want to run these questions. These are the questions I asked. Number one, why do you want to run? That's a big one. We're not going to talk that that right now, but just know that that's the meta big thing, right? But number two, why do you want to run 26.2 miles? Why do you want to run the marathon? Or why do you want to run the half? Or why do you want to run a 5k? Or why do you want to run a series of 5ks? Because usually people can get pretty clear on the articulation of why they want to do that. That's the, di- the marathon's the distance to do. Like I want to run a hundred miler. I still haven't gotten the intention to actually do it, but it's in the back of my head. I want to, I, why, why? Because it's the thing to go do. Like that's, that means something to me. There's something there, right? Um, so why is with around the distance, but also like, why do you want to run the Chicago marathon as opposed to the same weekend as twin cities? And the week before that is Berlin. And the week after that is you know, two weeks after that is Marine Corps and Indy. And then after that is Philly and New York city. And then, I mean, every weekend around the world, there's a marathon guaranteed. Why that one? Why that one? Yeah. And that why usually is like, Oh, I've got a boom. I've never been there before. I want to do that. I've got an athlete right now who's running all marathons in all 50 States. So that's really cool. Like, that's a why. That's a real yeah. big why. And his time, he does not care. It's not like I'm running sub three hours in every single one of those 50 states. It's like some of them are 345 and it's like whatever. So that why is like, it's so you get these nuances of why, right? Why do you want to run the time? Because for a lot of people, the time is really important. So why that time? That's my Boston qualifier. Ooh, there's a resonant, soulful, powerful why. That's why we resonate with it. I want to get an Olympic trials qualifier. Ooh, even deeper because that's a there's you know there, there's no speculation there. You know, whereas Boston's fucking speculation all the way down. At least not the last two years, but before that, it was seven. You had to be seven minutes faster than your marathon time, and you didn't even know where that was going to drop in. If you didn't come across the line one second faster, you may or may not have gotten to it. Right. And it had, and that was not known until the gun until months after you ran your race. Right. It's like why those whys then create what I like to say are deep meaning structures. So meaning then has nuance, subtlety levels and context starts to make relevance um where you are in your life makes as relevant um all kinds of things then become 
I just think what happens here is that we then take running from a pursuit and we make it into a life practice. We start getting process oriented like we've been talking about and you start doing it for the journey. And now what I say is now you're working at that deep level that is um, really hitting the the healthy, happy, strong metrics because there's we're working at multiple levels there's the level of healthy but then there's deep emotional resonance health right um happy so you've got this satisfaction deep existential what if that feeling you've got when you finished a 20 mile run or if you do a 10 mile steady run like there's something about a hilly 10 mile steady run that was always like it's, it's like oh it's, it's like a hyperbolic something. contentment yes it's like so incredible and then, and then strong. I mean, yeah. Jesus, that's what, you know? So after all those, after all that dedication and devotion to trying to figure out what it was, it just came down to a simple thing. I think we run because we want to learn. I think ultimately we just want to learn what we're made of. We want to know what we're made of and how we're made of it. We want to learn something about ourselves. And, you know, first that seemed just kind of naive and maybe a little bit pat. But man, for the last couple of years, last four or five years, that's been really holding strong that, um, you know, we, if I think of learning as love. I think of learning as an evolution. I think of learning as this sort of inner, this, this human need to expand our horizons or to push out, to push ourselves out there. And, um, yeah, that's, that's why I think why matters because, um, it, it, it takes this, it makes listening to an hour and 15 minute long podcast actually be something other than mental masturbation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> now I think, I think the why is to learn. Now that I think about it, because I've worked with a lot of people in like the sober community and I, my, my position on the why is so black and white because if people didn't know why they would get sober, there was a huge rate of relapse, like profound, um, because they would be doing it for other people. They'd be doing something else. But what's interesting is, and that's the way that I kind of cloaked it. It's like, well, you have to have that why or else it's doomsday. And, but what's interesting is on the, and some other kind of, plane some dimensional plane there was always but we do this to learn so it wasn't about doing everything right it was about learning it was about make the next right decision make the next right make mistakes you're gonna make mistakes you're gonna you're gonna mess things up do what you don't want to do so you can learn something and I was always told like yeah you just what, what could go wrong you're gonna learn something just do it yeah do that thing. You're going to learn something. And that was kind of like the prescription. And the prescription was to do things so you can learn. So I do think that if you really get back it up just a little bit further, it's cleaner to just say we to run is to learn. I am, you know, I do think there's one level above that, but not a lot of people want to go there. Um, and that's to be. Mm-hmm. But that that's not something a lot of people... But we can be, there's some subjectivity in terms of how people look at being, you know, like you can run, you cannot run. It's no, like I if mean, you, I mean, you know, I'm, what I mean by being is like the being your best. Yeah. Like be like full presence. Yeah. Full 
all the way in on life. Being 100% human being. Yeah, and, and that means, and I do think that that is learning. That's how we actually do it because being is this present, but then learning is some kind of, uh, it's that push to the future. <laughs> it's that, that, yeah. that human element of, it's very hard for us to just be and learning allows for a salience of uh, a, a goal orientation that allows us to have the future mm-hmm. there present with us to make us feel a little more comfortable and confident that we're making good choices and that that next best step has some kind of relevance. That's yeah. not just, uh, you know, sort of r- completely relative. There's deep re- re- relevance and resonance rather than relativity being relative. I can dig it. So is it safe to say that the how will be broken off in the next episodes? I think so. I think the how is what, how we're going to basically go through. And next week, John and I will talk about um, a little bit more about the what's being trained, just yeah. to make sure that people are a little clearer on that. Because it's, um, I think it's 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 not very hard. You know, there it's not very hard. There's there's an there's a uh, there's a you know a gross body aspect of it about the heart and the blood and the you know, and the way all those things work, and then there's a biomechanical piece to it, and how the body pushes off the ground and uses the ground, and how we how we do all those things, um, and and then there's also the the piece, but the piece that we'll be doing after that in the third episode and beyond will be I'm hoping we're going to take some of these cool systems that have been developed and kind of then take this intro and then next week and say, we've got all that stuff in the bag. So be sure you listen to those two. Cause what we're going to do now is just jump into the minutia. You know, this guy does a base and this guy does this kind of training and he does this. And, and I think that'll be really cool. And then people will be able to kind of see where it goes. I think we did a pretty good job today of like really delineating why, why the question of an introduction to training is important and why it might have taken us an hour and a half to kind of get to brass tacks with it. And um, I hope everybody, last week we hit you with a 30-minute episode, so you probably can handle an hour and a half, break it up if you need to, where mm-hmm. you, when you need to. Um, anything else we've missed here? Anything else we guys think? No, it's kind of like a base for getting started. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's like, we're at the, we're it's at like the if I had a resource like this like for that. people kind of even teeing up how to get started choosing a plan or understanding a plan... Um, again, I mean, people only say what you should or shouldn't be doing these days. And I think that's a slippery slope. I think that there needs to be the question, there needs to be the, uh, an understanding that there, there's a deeper connection to it all. There can be, there's subtle nuances with everything. And I think that I never had a resource that I listened to that was like, what you do is not necessarily right or wrong, but here's an here's the buffet like here's the idea you know so a lot of people need to defend their turf um yeah and the thing about john and i i think that's really helpful is we have been through many turf wars <laughs> and yeah. we've come the back yeah. end and said <laughs> you know there are a lot of different ways to get to rome and we have some ways we like to get to rome mm-hmm. but i have a deep appreciation like i you know five years ago i was super anti hansen's not not the handsome brothers, right. but the, the, the co-option that was done to create a, a, a large-scale model of their system that could get codified and placed into a book never made sense. But man, now, I think it's really pretty good. It's just, I just would never use that model to get my athletes ready. But I have used one piece of that. It's like, 
I do not go on any long run quality workout. I never go beyond 20 miles. 20 miles makes me very nervous if you're doing any hard quality work yeah. for marathon distance. 18's way better. And so that's a lot more aligned with, if I think about it, it's like, well, that's exactly kind of what the Hansons are doing. They're yeah. keeping it on the lower end because, but I do, but you know, in my system, I think you got to go three hours. You got to go, I think, 20 minutes beyond your marathon race duration so that you've got the adaptation to the, physiological load that's going to be appropriate and you need to do that multiple times that's kind of the way i view it but anyway yeah. we'll get into all those that minutiae is the cool stuff that's the right. stuff that gets john and i so I'm gonna excited get so zooted next week i know we're gonna be yeah. stop at every espresso house <laughs> yeah well i can make you a really good pour over so you're yeah. all good there i don't have the fancy machine john well, michael he's has, gonna but... be having espresso in italy oh he'll be so... having the real shit yeah the, the 14 grammars over there on the, the across dope, the pond. What do yeah. they call them? Dopios or something? What is it? I don't know. I don't, remember. I don't know anything about anything. I just sit here and just, <laughs> I do what I do. You're so full of shit. <laughs> His, he, he, you know how much homework he did on buying that espresso maker? He did oh, not just go, about a year let and me half. see. I'm just going to pluck a, pluck a number out. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks. And, uh, Keep going. Keep going.